and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. We should do this. This should be Metallica Monday every week. I don't want it to be Monday anymore. I'm glad it's Wednesday. But I think if we did all Metallica Monday, it'd be great for the show. Thanks for being here. Uh, about a little over an hour from right now, we're expected to hear from the President of the United States talking about student loan forgiveness. There's been a little preview of, the, of that that is out. We'll talk about that in a little while. But we will carry the President's remarks live, scheduled for around 11.15 this morning. So plan on that happening here, and we will carry when interest rates had been raised, uh, the interest rates in the mortgage industry dropped three times in a week. Um, so it isn't they aren't necessarily directly connected, but people are concerned about paying their bills. And so when people go to sell their homes and they hear this panic mode and then people lower the prices here in the valley. Um, the price correction right now is sitting at a, a little a less than three percent. And so we've watched 15, 20, 25 percent gains in home value over the last few years, which was really good for you if you owned a home. But if you were someone trying to get into the housing market, it was pricing you out of the market quickly. So this little bit of a correction, and I'm going to tell you what one of the experts is saying. That this little bit of a correction in the market will allow more people to jump into the housing market and buy homes. Well, what you're going to see then is because more people are jumping on more inventory, prices will go back up again in the near future. Here in Arizona, especially what they call the Phoenix metro area, we call it the valley, but the Phoenix metro area um, is a strong market because um, people are coming here. We are a destination. We are still a growth. The valley is growing by leaps and bounds. Um, businesses are relocating here. People are coming to take those jobs. The West, the West Valley is – well, the East Valley did it first. You know, it, all those stories about kicking yourself, I'll tell you mine. Um, when I moved here, I worked for an electrical contracting company in Mesa, and I was a service electrician. So I spent a lot of time in a van driving all over the valley. And I remember having to go to sometimes out to the East Valley, go out into Gilbert and uh, in East Mesa and Queen Creek for work to do jobs. And I remember driving through parts of East Mesa and parts of uh, of Gilbert especially, and it was uh, hay fields, feedlots, cotton fields, and hand-painted signs about acreage for sale. And I remember thinking to myself in the mid-90s, who would ever buy property out here? You know what a dope I feel like right now? If I had just taken a little bit of discipline and bought a couple of acres out there then, I could retire now. And I think you kick yourself, but nobody anticipated back then. We didn't anticipate the immense growth we were going to see in the East Valley and the planned, calculated growth. Uh, I've talked about this quite a bit. If you look at what Mesa has done becoming a tech hub and you look at how they have really catered to upscale companies with higher paying jobs and then in their town, people are building more upscale houses to feed the people that are doing those jobs. When I say feed them to to sell to those people, it's planned managed growth that is doing really good things in the East Valley. Well, the same thing is happening to the West Valley now. When you go north on the I-17, when I moved here, there was nothing north of of Bell Road. Nothing north of Bell Road to really speak about. I think Discover Card was there. I had a building there. And then there was really nothing. It was desert. And now you've got Anthem and you thought, man, that's a long way out of town. That's the middle of town now. I mean, they're building all the way up to Black Canyon City. 
So um, we are seeing immense growth. I don't think this market correction is going to hurt Arizona, and I'm glad that it's not. But my concern is this. Where I do see concern is businesses pulling back. More and more businesses are pulling back in August. There was a report yesterday that of 700 executives of major corporations in America, half of them are planning on slashing jobs. So for everybody out there, and it's a good place to be if you are the the employee, um, which I was for a very long time before I owned my own business. But when you're the employee and you're in a good position with a company because you do a good job, they are going to do extra things to take care of you. And for a lot of people, it's like, I'd rather work from home. And they're allowing that to happen. Well, we're now hearing that employers are going to be soon. We're going to hear from employers that are going to say to employees, if you want to work from home, you got to do it for less money because it is going to shift the availability for you to resign on a Friday and go to work somewhere else on a Monday is not necessarily going to be there. My big concern, and I'm not there yet, but my big concern would be what happens, what happens if we start to see a real recession in the jobs, if we start to see layoffs instead of hiring, then what? You know, people right now, one of the big job searches when people are looking for jobs, one of the big searches is for part time. There are people that are looking for a second job to make ends meet. So imagine having your hours or your pay cut. You're not able to make ends meet right now. Food is more and more expensive all the time. We're talking about possibly having huge supply chain issues because of this huge port in the UK shutting down because of a strike. And if if prices continue to climb, if gas prices go back up, the other thing about gas prices that is a concern for everyone is, you know, China has had largely another big lockdown because of COVID. So they are not using the amount of fuel they've used in the past. When the demand goes up in China... Are we going to see an increase in gas prices again? What is heating oil going to cost families where heating oil is a big thing? All of this is, is an issue that, we, that businesses are looking at when they project what's going to happen. Businesses that do this, when we're talking about the major corporations, they don't wait and react to what's happening right now. They pay people a lot of money to predict what's happening in six months, and they are acting now so that they're prepared for that when it happens. So when you see headlines of businesses pulling back, this is where people get really concerned. In a moment, I want to readdress a story, and I want you to hear a little bit about an ACLU lawsuit. And there's a story at KTAR.com, and uh, we've Luke Forstner did a report on this. Uh, The ACLU is suing in the state of Arizona over a law that prohibits people from videotaping law enforcement closer than eight feet to the situation that's happening. We're going to talk more about what this is and why it is in just a couple of moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, coming up, bottom of the hour at 1035, we're going to have a conversation about the way your money is invested in the state of Arizona, what happens with your tax dollars. We're going to talk with the state treasurer, Kimberly Yee, about a few different things. Um, and uh, ESGs, if you don't know what an ESG is, we are going to talk about what that is, how it pertains to how we invest money in Arizona. 
Is it a thing that you should be concerned about? And the different ways that the state is going to have to go if the stock market correcting itself and doing some other things should be an interesting conversation with the state treasurer. That comes up at 1035. Um, I want you to hear a little bit of this report from our own Luke Forstner here at KTAR News. This is about the lawsuit. The ACLU has filed a lawsuit um, and naming uh, Mark Brnovich, the attorney general, uh, the county attorney. And also, for whatever reason, the sheriff of Maricopa County, Paul Penzone, in a lawsuit. And it's a lawsuit about the new state law that was signed in by our governor that says you cannot videotape police officer actions within eight feet of a police incident. The law makes it illegal to film police within eight feet without the officer's permission with limited exceptions. The ACLU of Arizona and several state media organizations say it's unconstitutional. The concern is that it's a First Amendment violation, that it removes your right to film what the police are doing. Valley attorney Barry Markson says six of the 12 U.S. District Courts of Appeals have ruled against similar laws in other states, so it's likely this law will be found unconstitutional. Luke Forstner, KTAR News. And where I think a mistake was made here, and again, I'm not a lawmaker, don't want to tell them how to do their jobs, not stepping on any toes, but why involve cameras at all? Very sincerely, why involve cameras at all? The rule should be you have to be a safe distance away from the police officers. Now, because that is such a a, 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 a term that can be interpreted so broadly, you come up with 8 feet, 10 feet, 12 feet, 6 feet. But there should be a limited – there should be a distance that you have to stay away from a police incident. Whether you've got a camera in your hand or you don't. So if this says you can't videotape within eight feet, does that mean I can stand within eight feet if I'm not videotaping? And that's the issue here. People are making a big deal of this videotape. I'm in, I don't want to infringe on anybody's rights. I think you have an absolute right to film a police officer. If a police officer has got the right to film you, you've got a right to film them. Period. You're not going to find anybody more pro-law enforcement than I am. But I also, and I, I've talked about this, you know, I'm, I'm a, I, the cops I know don't want to, don't want to violate people's rights. They want to get bad guys off the street. That's what, that's, that's what their job is. But, you know, and I've had this happen to me. I got pulled over when I was living, when I was still in Florida, when I was younger. I got pulled over one night at about 1130 at night. And I had no idea why. And the officer approached my vehicle and asked if he could search my truck. And I said, why? He said there was just a robbery of a 7-Eleven store not too far away. And the vehicle, the, the getaway vehicle, matched the description of my vehicle. So he wanted to eliminate me as a suspect. I said, go ahead. You have complete access to my vehicle. If an officer were to say to me, as pro-law enforcement as I am, and again, my brother's a captain with the sheriff's office in my hometown. My sister-in-law, who I love like a sister, is a, is a deputy in the same sheriff's office. If a police officer, I don't care who they are, says to me, can I search your vehicle? My first question is going to be, why? If the answer is something like, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to be afraid of, I'm going to deny their request. Because you're not just going to arbitrarily look around my property. I have nothing to hide, but you have no reason to search my vehicle. So I get rights as pro-law enforcement as I am. But what I don't understand about this is anybody with an ounce of common sense understands the stressful situation that happens when law enforcement has to, what I say, I don't know if it's their term they use anymore, go hands-on with a suspect. When you have to take someone into custody. 
So if you're in a domestic violence situation, it's one of the most dangerous places for a law enforcement officer to be because it turns so quickly. Largely, the, per- the party that calls the police in the first place ends up defending the person that's getting arrested, and it can get ugly, and it can get physical sometimes. So they go and they make sure that they take control of the situation. But when you're in a situation where you're not a part of this interaction with law enforcement, how is it a violation of your First Amendment rights to say you have to say stay for your safety and for the safety of the officer? You have to stay at least eight feet away. I don't see how that's a violation of anybody's rights. It certainly doesn't diminish your ability to capture anything on video. Your phone camera, and you can do this yourself, you can stand anywhere in your home, eight feet away from people in your home, having a conversation in a normal tone of voice, and capture every word from eight feet away, along with their actions on video. So I don't understand how this violates anyone's rights. Now, I again, I'm not a lawyer. I could be completely wrong. But the other part of this I don't understand, and I never have understood is I don't understand why the sheriff of Maricopa County has been named. And I don't know why I'm so stuck on that, except I understand why the attorney general is. I understand why the Maricopa County attorney might be. But Paul Penzone didn't have any input on this law. He's, he didn't, it, it didn't do anything with it. He didn't pass it. He didn't write it. He didn't help write it. He didn't consult on it. He's a sheriff, and he's the only law enforcement officer that's named in the lawsuit. Why should the citizens of Maricopa County have to pay to defend this lawsuit? I hope he gets removed. I, you know, I don't think this, any of this has merit, but as we heard in the news report, uh, at least six other uh, uh, appeals courts have ruled against laws like this. We'll see. We'll see how this one stands up. Coming up in a few moments, a very interesting conversation. We speak with the Arizona State Treasurer, Kimberly Yee. Stick around. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. I wanted to get an update. Um, uh, I had an interesting conversation with the state treasurer recently about some things that I thought we should do this on the radio because a lot of people don't even really understand what the state treasurer does and how important that job is to the investment of your tax dollars and what it means to the future of Arizona and what goes into it. So joining us now is the state treasurer, Kimberly Yee. Thanks for coming on and doing Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I want to get a couple of terms out there that you use every day. And can you give us an explanation, a quick, uh, you know, Cliff Notes uh, lesson in what what ESGs are, what ESG means? Absolutely. Well, ESG means environmental social governance, which is the liberal woke way of uh, conducting ratings uh, of various companies. It's a slippery slope. It's dangerous. And it basically is a political scorecard, not a financial scorecard. Let me give you an example. Um, ESG ratings uh, take a look at how a company is going to um, deal with the new green deal. Okay. So, so that issue on its own is trying to wipe out fossil fuels. And it's under this whole idea that if, for instance, a corporation, say it's a financial institution, is going to lend financing to an energy company, uh, gasoline, oil, coal, uh, they would be 
not financed because of this policy. And because they're on the bad list, this ESG rating would, uh, you know, basically go up if they don't finance these energy sectors. That's picking winners and losers, and that's not the free enterprise system. Um, I believe this is a dangerous path that many um corporations are going down and it's woke. So I have written to the Biden administration, you know, his climate czar is John Kerry, and they're basically not funding energy companies. And I said to our financial partners who are banks, I won't do business with you in Arizona if you continue going down this ESG pathway. Again, it is not a financial scorecard. It's all about politics. And isn't it, uh, again, I I, uh, I actually respect activism. I respect someone who's an activist and stands up for what they believe in. So if people want to do that in their personal lives and say, with my personal investments, I'm not going to invest in companies that do this, or I'm only going to invest in companies that do that. But wouldn't you, do you agree that it's the job of the state treasurer to do what What's best with the investments to make the most money for the taxpayers in Arizona? It's important for us to stand up for American companies. And our United States-based uh, energy companies are losing money because of this woke agenda. Mm-hmm. And so I'm standing up for not only American companies, but for the consumer. They are paying at the pump because of these policies. And when they can't afford to pay their bills in their home environments, that's affecting our economy here in Arizona. And so the state treasurer has to look out for not only the, the taxpayer the consumer, but also for our businesses that do business right here in Arizona. And so as they go into these agendas through the Biden administration's empowerment, again, they are trying to get rid of oil, gas, and coal. And our inflationary prices, our high gas prices we see at the pump, are because of these woke agendas. So there is a direct correlation to the finances of our state and how this path is going. All right, so let's go to the next three-letter acronym, BDS. What are BDS? <laughs> Boycott, divestment, and sanctions. And, um, and and this is basically what we passed in Arizona's legislature in 2016. I was a member of the state legislature back then. And it's basically Arizona saying, we do not want BDS in our state when it comes to financing. And so we passed an anti-BDS piece of law back in 2016, which actually triggered last summer. So as the state treasurer, I saw that Ben and Jerry's was going to be boycotting Israel. America's friend and ally. And by doing so, they said that they would no longer manufacture ice cream in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria. They've been doing for 30 years. And so I contacted Unilever, their parent company, and I said, you've got two options here. Change your course of action or divest your relationship from Ben and Jerry's. They chose to do neither. So I divested $143 million of Arizona funds from Unilever's portfolio. And um, that went down to zero. And we were the first state to do so. Five other states followed immediately. Um, the state of Texas, New Jersey, Florida, New York were among those. And we became a movement of divestments across the country, the leader of that. A few weeks ago, Unilever called me and indicated that they would change their course of action. So they actually ended up, a year later, uh, selling uh, their subsidiary in that West Bank to an Israeli manufacturers. So Ben and Jerry's sued them and said, hey, you shouldn't have done that. And and actually, just yesterday, we received information that um, Ben and Jerry's did not win in the court case that they had against Unilever. So we actually were able to change that boycott. It was anti-Semitic. It was discriminatory. It was absolutely wrong. And Arizona led the effort on the 
on that BDS movement, which I believe um, is going forward. And, and yesterday, uh, as you know, just a few days ago, we indicated that we are looking at Morningstar, another company that has shown to be discriminate, discriminating against business in Israel. So let's talk about where Arizona sits financially and what your office does in that regard, that we have seen immense growth in Arizona because of riding the wave of the stock market and wise investing. Yes. We are seeing some turbulence. Everybody's concerned about their 401k to some degree in the turbulence that's happening. How does that change what your office does and how do you reassure the citizens of Arizona that we're going to be fine? Well, let me give you an example of where we were and where we are today. So I started as state treasurer. I took my oath of office January of 2019. We had $15.4 billion in assets under management. Three and a half years later, we stand at $30.2 billion in assets under management. That is a 96% increase in AUM. That shows you that the state of Arizona is doing very well from an economic front. And so looking at the numbers, it means that people are working, people are able to pay their bills, they're spending. And, and this is showing that Arizona is more resilient than the many other states out there who continued to close down after COVID. And so we, looking at the general investments of our office will continue to go strong on smart investments. It's always safety before liquidity, before yield, when we take a look at the investments of our office. But let me give you an example. When we uh, invest our dollars, it goes right back to the taxpayers. So that it goes back into their pockets so, so that local governments don't have a need to tax them further. And in the K through 12 space, for instance, education funding, our office invests the proceeds of any state lands that are sold from the land department. And in those investments, our uh, growth and our investment team um, allows for K-12 through public schools to get $402 million just in this fiscal year alone based on investments. And that means more money for our students, more money for our teachers and our schools. I appreciate the update. Uh, it was such an interesting conversation that you and I had before, and I just wanted to give people a little mm. picture of what the state treasurer does, and I appreciate you coming on now, and I look forward to doing this again in the future as things change in, in Arizona and the direction we take because people should be concerned about where their money's going, so I appreciate the update. Thank you so much, Mike. All right, that is Kimberly Yee, our state treasurer. Coming up in a moment, uh, soft on crime policies. We addressed this a few minutes ago. I want to talk a little bit deeper. Uh, the staggering number of people that are being let out without bail and then committing crimes right after that, the number is huge, not just in Northern California where the story comes from, but across the, across the country. What do we need to learn from that here in Arizona so we don't become that statistic? We'll talk about that in a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I want to talk about cause and effect, and I, about the. I'm going to connect something to this crime data, and I don't mean it as I'm going after a certain group of people, but I'm going to connect it in a moment. District Attorney in Northern California said that 70% of the people in this part of Northern California um, – that were released on no bail, uh, no bail. They call it ROR, reco- re, uh, released on your own recognizance. Twenty in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Seventy percent of them committed more crimes. Uh, many of them were violent cl- crimes like robbery and murder. This is from Yolo County in Northern California, and I think it's a symptom of a bigger issue. Seattle's talking about their defunded police movement. There is cause and effect, and uh, there always is. Um, 
So I'm not directing this at crime rates, but I'm going to go to the cause and effect part of this with this next story. Uh, five more migrant buses from Texas arrive in New York City um, as Governor Abbott calls out Mayor Adams and his hypocrisy. Um the cause and effect here, what's happened in California – or I'm sorry, what's happened in Arizona and in Texas uh, has caused the governors of those two states to take drastic measures. Some people agree. Some people don't. What I find interesting is it's about 1,000 people total have been taken to New York in these buses from Texas. That number is minuscule compared to what is happening at the southern border in the Texas towns, uh, you know, whether you're in Del Rio, whether you where, whether you're in McAllen, wherever you are, um, you are seeing um, horrible times for people in those border towns. I, I had the privilege. I've told this story a number of times. I had the privilege of traveling on a humanitarian uh, mission, so to speak, over a few days with uh, with Glenn Beck. It was a it was a, a, a group of people that he put together through his charitable arm. It was truly just a humanitarian mission. Nobody was broadcasting from there. Um, we were down there just to help. There were there were thousands at the time. This was the first wave of of undocumented kids that were coming across the border in McAllen, Texas, and the town of McAllen. Allen was overrun, and so uh, Glenn took the charitable arm, took a bunch of donations, toys for the kids, and clothing and food, and we went down and we just served for a couple of days and observed. And I will tell you that I learned so much in that short time of what how overwhelmed towns can be. McAllen, Texas is a border town that is not a wealthy town by anybody's stretch of the imagination, and there were just overwhelming numbers of people coming across the border. And this was back during the Obama administration. And um, it, it just was it, – it, the looks on the children's faces, it was just – it was sadness everywhere. It was just a sad state to see. Um, and the waves of people continue to come. If you live – if you've been to southern Arizona, and I have on a number of occasions where I've been down to the border, where I've, whether I've been in Douglas for work. Um, I was once doing a take off the uh, the wastewater treatment plant in Douglas, Arizona, where they obviously treat the wastewater was an old, outdated system, and they were looking to upgrade it. And I went down there to put a bid on uh, just refurbishing uh, that entire facility. And I was standing, I literally standing with my back against the border wall and doing the takeoff, what they call a takeoff on the job and looking at what it was going to cost to do a basic, you know, give them an estimate of what I thought it was going to take to refurbish this entire wastewater treatment plant. And while I was standing there, two guys jumped over the wall and a lookout was directing them on where to go to get to a little bit of an area where there were some trees where they could hide. And then right across the street, I think it was a wall. Walmart that was there for them to get away. I was shocked. The people there that worked there didn't even bat an eye. It was just something they see all the time. And if you're not familiar with this, and the cause and effect story about this is New York pontificates. We're a sanctuary city and the migrant issue in this country because it's not something that they had to face. Same with Washington, D.C. They can sit up on a hill and they can look down and tell everybody that's actually dealing with it how they should deal with it. And it's not that big of a deal. When we started sending busloads of people to their city, they're asking for the National Guard to help. They're asking for federal funding. They're asking for all of these different things. And the numbers of people in New York and in Washington, D.C. on these buses is minuscule compared to the numbers of people that are crossing every you know, month into the, into, into the border towns in Arizona and Texas.
So the cause and effect here is now they're feeling a little bit of this. But instead of them saying, hey, there is a federal issue here. If this is a little bit of what Arizona and Texas are facing, we have to do something. Instead, you play the political card and you go after the Republican governors instead of the Democrat president that's in your party whose policies are making this happen. We need to look at policies, not just party. We need to look at policies and not personalities. We should be looking at the policies of people. Coming up at 11 o'clock, we're going to talk a little bit about the economy, and we'll get a preview of what the president is going to say at 11.15. All that's coming up next.